local romance podcast. My name is Charlie, and I'm here today with Ethan. Hello. And today we've got Seth. Hey there. Seth is a very active member of Local Matters. He's written some articles. He recently took part in one of our cleaning actions. And a, was it a cenotaph or a memorial, Seth? A memorial outside a church in uh, north of England. Seth's here today because we're talking about living a localist lifestyle. In a practical sense, this is to live a life according to our principles without going too far the other way. We have to remember the world we live in and not pretend that we live a completely different lifestyle to everyone else. Yeah, there are lots of ways to live locally without extricating yourself completely from the world around you. Um, And there's also a lot of ways to act that will inspire other people to change their lifestyles for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest areas we see this in is consumerism, which we've talked about again and again. But large shops are everywhere and our high streets are being killed by massive corporations, franchises, and especially the shop that's taking over the high street now is actually the pound shops like Poundland and things. These are what's killing um, physical shops rather than the online ones. So it's important for anyone who's anti-consumerism to avoid things like McDonald's, KFC, anything that's um, most likely mass-produced, imported, um, run by, you know, people in an office far, far away in a massive overstretching um, corporation. And it's not always easy, uh, and for some people it's not even possible, but a lot of the time you can definitely avoid going McDonald's in favour for something else. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One of the things I found is I was actually going to McDonald's weekly uh, previously, and I think we went probably every Friday as a treat, then we'd accidentally sort of go every Saturday, We'd pop to the cinema, go get McDonald's. We'd end up doing it quite a bit. Um, and then it got to a point where the occasional evening, we were even then ordering it because in cities now you're at a point where it's free to order McDonald's to your home. Um, but when we did decide that sort of enough was enough with that, we found that transition quite easy, actually. Alternatives have been quite simple. We found sandwich shops. We found wonderful local bakers. We found even local butchers at lunch and stuff. Uh, we haven't really found that transition very difficult over from uh, getting things at McDonald's weekly. Did you know it's much different in price? Because I know that's a common argument that you know McDonald's is a lot cheaper than um, these alternatives and these smaller shops who do, to be fair, uh, have to have higher prices to compete with these massive corporations. Uh, to some extent, but not really. We largely go a little bit less. Um, anyway and then on top of that the quality has been far superior so um one of the things we found was we had a mcdonald's one time where our oven had broken so we ordered a mcdonald's for a change and it had been probably about six months since we'd had one and to us it wasn't very nice if you're not having it often it was not the nicest food and i think you get very used to having it uh, on repeat so we found that the extra cost in money hasn't really been much and on top of that because we've got to know our baker we went there the other day for soup just because he didn't have the right container he put it on the house for us that's mad i mean the, the restrictions on service in in places that are franchised are huge you know they're not allowed to give uh, a lot of discounts and things and when it's local they're so much more flexible um not only not only for discounts but to help you if you want uh if you wanted something extra, for example, that wouldn't usually be on the menu, they could just do that for you on the spot a lot of the time. Um, and it's just more organic. It's more real. You're dealing with real people, not 
a system, which is what you're dealing with when you go to a McDonald's employee. Exactly. It's just a lot more of a real experience. And even if it does have a very marginal price increase, you will receive the benefit of that in a way because it does go back into your local community rather than being basically transferred to the company headquarters, which might not even be in the country. You will see this money go into that butcher's pocket and then he'll spend it on hopefully the local economy in turn, which should enrich you as well. So it's, you know, it's a proper, largely self-enclosed system where expenditure is essentially an investment for the future. Yeah, it's about passing it to the team as we've um, so we've put on one of our posters uh, available now at thelocalist.org slash shop. Uh, so, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, that thing you mentioned as well, Seth, about the delivery in cities, free delivery as well, that is my nightmare. I mean, I, I know I've mentioned it to you guys several times. I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast, but Wally, you know, the Disney film, is my nightmare, um, where everyone's going around on these sort of mobility hover chairs and they're getting food delivered to them uh, and there's no exercise and all the food's just generated by machines. That is my nightmare and um, not to be too extreme, but that is sort of the way we're going. No, I do see the. I do see what you mean by that, and I think the most disturbing part of that film is they find out the truth, and they don't want to go back. They don't want to leave their comfort and return to Earth, when it was supposed to be a temporary thing. Yeah, they get too comfortable. Absolutely, and I think a lot of people get too comfortable here and now. You know, they're getting used to um, not having to go outside and having their food delivered to their door and things. And while it sounds like a very small issue, it's small because it's incremental. And at one point, um, it required a lot more work than just going to the shop to get your food. So, yeah, it's um, convenience for convenience sake. And really, it's for the sake of earning extra money and getting you to consume more. And I really don't like it. Absolutely. I mean, this is one of the things as well that seems to be affecting the young even more. Like uh, when I was going through university, I had two friends who were ordering food every single night, um, which I was in Norwich, which is a very small city. And at the time in Norwich, that was relatively impossible. You couldn't really get takeout every night unless you were walking to your local takeout uh, places, you know, fish bars and whatnot. Um, but yeah, you know, I had friends who were in Manchester and stuff, and it was totally alien to me at the time, but they were ordering food every single night. And it worries me that when people move out, I'm seeing it more and more. I've got a friend who's recently um, got engaged, moved in with their partner, and they're uh, set to be married. But they keep ordering out all the time. And I think that it comes down to you're not getting that rite of passage either. You're not learning to cook your own food. You're not learning to grow anything. You're not learning to have any self-sufficiency there. I'm not saying everyone has to grow things, but people aren't even popping down to their local shop a lot of the time. They're having two, three takeouts a week um, because it is it's that ease and it, it worries me what it could mean for the future of some young people that's another really good point actually seth the self-sufficiency angle of a you know as we've called it a localist lifestyle um a lot of people don't follow this anymore and it used to be essential to stay alive you know very long ago um but i mean it came back in the war effort as well during world war ii especially people would recognize posters of um, growing your own food and what was it grow for britain or something like that um, yeah, it's an absolutely enormous gap that we're not filling. Uh, I mean, even better than buying things from shops local to you 
is to um, grow your own things. And whether it's food or, you know, we raise chickens in the garden and we get our own eggs and there's more than enough for us. So we give them to our neighbours and things. Um, and, you know, reusing things you've got. And there's a lot we can talk about on this topic, but yeah, self-sufficiency is massive. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's like my neighbour as well. Uh, she's vegan, uh, but she's sort of loosely vegan as much as she goes for just no waste. That's her main thing. So there have been times in the past that we've had extra food left over and whatnot because my girlfriend bakes a lot and uh, cooks a lot. So we've popped around there, and because she doesn't waste, she'll still take things. And it's been the same with eggs, as you say, because growing up we always had chickens, and it's something that we hope to do again. But, um yeah, it's one of those things that I think it does come down to how little do you want to waste? And we need to ideally make moves towards wasting as little as possible. I do think there's a big overlap between veganism and shopping local. I mean, there are two you know, distinct issues, but I think if everybody shopped locally, there would be quite a lot of similar behavior being shown as in, well, I don't think we'd eat as much massified food and consume anywhere near as much meat, to be honest. Yeah, and they're both social movements and they're both, um, I mean, to an extent here, even now, we're trying to instruct people how to spend their money and things. And one thing we really need to avoid and that will explicitly and that will explicitly mention now is that um, veganism was too and it's still too pushy and it's become a stereotype of uh you know these people who complain all the time i think we may have mentioned this in another podcast episode um and we definitely need to avoid that so when we talk about a localist lifestyle it's not that you must uh follow this otherwise you are evil but uh, we believe in uh, following to our principles you know be the change you want to see in the world and yeah that definitely does include a lot of um a lot of similarities to veganism. Yeah, well, I think militant veganism is largely based on a negative identity in the sense that they are not eating meat um, and their primary thing is that it's evil to eat meat. Whereas for us, it's we're promoting supporting local communities, which is a more positive uh, identity. And I think it's just generally a healthier one to promote. Yeah, I mean, by example, I, I'm no vegan. I eat a lot of meat, in fact. Um, my diet is largely meat and I use my local butcher a lot. Um, but one of the things that I found so interesting is uh, I was on a Facebook group about anti-consumption and it was uh, anti-consumerism and such. And one of the things on there was very old school vegans. And this chap was making his argument why he doesn't like that vegans will suddenly use Greg's just because they have a vegan sausage roll. He says, you know, it still is against the other things you believe in. You can't just take that token. Um, not that it's not a good thing for Greg's to do, it is, but... He says, you know, I started being a vegan for these reasons, these anti-consumption reasons. And he goes around all of his local farms. He goes around the local village. He sees if people have, you know, got eggs for sale. He sees what's there, what's about, what veg are on sale. And again, it's not so hardcore, I will not have anything from an animal. For him, it's become, he doesn't want to be part of this massification of consumption. So he's just trying to keep it small. And he thinks that a lot of modern veganism has been a betrayal of that. But I just find it intriguing, the crossover there. I can definitely see that. I mean, I wouldn't personally adopt the, um, I would personally adopt the diet for the sake of consumerism by, I definitely am perpetuating it by uh, the diet that I have now. But I think that it's probably unavoidable. And as veganism becomes more popular, uh, once the, once the consumer base is large enough, these big companies will be jumping into it as soon as they can. Um, 
you know, to take up that market share for vegans. I'd probably right now, companies are only not focusing on them because they're not a big enough customer base. But um, I think the reason companies aren't currently selling to vegans on mass is just because the customer base isn't big enough for them to bother with. Uh, although it's significant size, um, they're not too worried about it. But as veganism or vegetarianism becomes more popular, then big companies will start leaking into that market. I mean, I know that Lidl is a massive supplier of vegan and vegetarian um, products and things. And yeah, as that market gets bigger, uh, the bigger companies will fire over that market share. And that's why veganism is anti-consumerism. But if it continues growing, then uh, they'll just become consumers as they have already begun to do. I think they definitely have already begun to do that. Even fast food restaurants, which were, you know, the main targets of the like, vegan anger. And I think to some extent they, well, at least some of the vegans I know, they drop their anti-consumerist angle when they encounter consumerism that is tailored towards veganism. Like, for example, the new a plant-based range that they have at McDonald's. The amount of vegans that will descend on that after a night out um, shows that they aren't really that concerned about consumerism as long as it's in line with their principles. And these consumer-based vegan companies, if you know what I mean, you know, these aren't going to be sustainably produced anyway. They're probably made with vegetables that are shipped halfway across the planet. You know, they're not locally grown. It's all of the same issues that were there for the animal-based food, minus perhaps the animal cruelty aspect. Yeah, exactly. The only way that we're going to get around or get past consumerism is to, um, so first of all, you have to be self-conscious of everything. And second of all, um, it has to be the smaller businesses, vegan or not. Um, it cannot be chains like McDonald's and things. Well, yeah, because having a local-based agricultural system would eliminate a lot of the problems that the vegan movement wishes to address, such as even like animal cruelty. When you don't have factory farming, the ways that animals are treated are much better, as well as issues like sustainability, things like that. They all would come along with a restructuring of the agricultural supply line along local lines. Absolutely. It's one of the things I see all the time as well as a lot of the... Um recipes people are making are involving things like um i'm just trying to think but it's things like stuffed peppers it's things like uh butternut squash and um avocado of course these things importing them is you know incredible pollution going into the imports and the exports of these things And on top of that i can't remember the stat but to grow an avocado takes like 130 liters of water or something um i can't remember i think one of you in fact told me at some point but you know, that's not really considered with a lot of these diets people think are sustainable. Everyone's very into their eco and green, but more as a fad at the moment. People aren't really taking these things seriously. And going down to that local scale, you can. I, I walk to all of my food sources, which have all come from local places. I walk to a, a lot of the sources for my clothing and all sorts. You know, they, they're all smaller and local. I've just I've just checked that for you. The, according to the Guardian, it's two thousand liters of water to produce one kilo of avocados. However, meat is between five thousand and twenty thousand liters for one kilo. So, um, yeah, I mean, obviously it depends where you go and things, but yeah, avocados aren't they're not exactly uh, life saving. Yeah, then there's also the international shipping aspect, especially for things yeah like avocados and I think soy as well. They usually grown in plantations, often in South America. 
And obviously the carbon footprint of that is horrendous, not to mention the economic implications of outsourcing. Absolutely. And the and the human scale, it's a simple element of the more we import, you're, you're only looking at another form of colonialism. That's what upsets me about it is you find that there's you know still slave trades in Africa. We've still got you know people on an absolute pittance of pay who are picking all these things so that you can buy it here and feel very good like you've done something eco. Yeah, it's just another um, it's just another marketing ploy by big corporations. You know, they tell you that this is uh, you're paying extra money for the morality of it, but you're not. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Actually, a kind of morality charge. It's not solving any of the issues, really. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just another tax. Aside from veganism, though, uh, it's not just about the food you consume. But I mean, think of all the brands that you own, and the consumption of products is also massive. Uh, I mean, let's talk about films, games. I mean, how easy is it now to binge watch a series? Uh, luckily, Netflix will stop you after three or four episodes or after a certain amount of time. But you can absolutely just sit there and watch end-on-end episode of whatever you want so easily. Um, and there's several outlets for it as well, you know, Amazon Prime, Now TV, And it's just too easy to sit and watch these on repeat. And... Apart from being self-conscious, there's not much that can be solved with this because um, because obviously it's not evil to sit and watch telly for hours. Um, and that's that's the difficulty in doing a podcast on a topic like this because there's nothing wrong. And we're normal people. It's not like we don't sit and watch Netflix for hours. But there are certainly negative effects from it. And on a large scale, we are doing it far too much. Well, yeah, I think this kind of links in to what we were saying before about militancy with veganism. We're not saying that there's anything inherently wrong with enjoying these kind of entertain this kind of entertainment. Um, it's the same with a lot of things. You know, there's nothing wrong with the free market to an extent, and there's nothing wrong with entertainment, of course, but to a certain extent, it's when your whole life and to some people their reason for existence revolves around entertainment. Uh, that obviously has great and grave psychological and you know economic every kind of issue i follow a few consumption-based pages where people discuss these matters you know day in day out and one of the things i see crop up again and again is conscientious consumption which i couldn't agree with more um i I still have reebok trainers for instance uh they're produced slightly more locally being a british company but i'm sure a lot of those materials aren't coming from britain um but it's being conscientious in what you do there. So I, I try to limit wherever possible. You try to limit how many streaming services you're actually on, how much plastic you're getting. Uh, as an example, I play a lot of video games um, and I've worked in industry in the past. So for me, I, I've stopped buying physical video games because the plastics that go into the production of that. And uh, David uh, Braben, I think it is, he's head of Frontier Studios who do the Elite Dangerous games and uh, Jurassic Park games. You know, absolutely brilliant. He did an article not long ago on how he thinks physical games will eventually go. He doesn't think it's sustainable and he thinks that we should have, if they are physical, he thinks there should be cardboard casing because the thousands made a year, you know, well, I say thousands, millions of physical games made a year around the globe. The amount of oils and plastics going into that is absolutely remarkable. Uh, one of the things as well for that is a friend of mine used to work at a rubbish dump. And they used to dump thousands of old games. So it would be things like you know wrestling games that haven't sold or they're just seasonal sales. They'd just dump them all. And he was allowed to take them home for his kids and whatnot. But it was thousands and thousands of these plastic cases just gone. 
That's pretty mental. And I mean, the amount of stuff that comes in single-use plastic as well. Uh, a lot of things are going virtual, like games and things. Um, it's really good that they are going virtual. But, um, but yeah, there's so many. I mean, for example, think about when you when you get a box of chocolates at Christmas, how often do you take the plastic wrapper off this cardboard box, open it, and then inside each chocolate is individually wrapped? Um, and I might be wrong on this, but from what I heard years ago, I think that if it's reflective on the inside, it's not recyclable, uh, in which case there's a lot of chocolate wrappers that wouldn't be recycled. They'd have to be uh, you know, thrown in the actual bin. Absolutely. And there's some really simple moves you can make for that. Like I say, turning your life more local doesn't take as much effort as it sounds. From the outside, this kind of thing is always quite off-putting. Um, I personally, uh, which is a bit of a twist, was quite a climate denier previously. And a lot of that was immediate reaction. Uh, things like the PR of uh, Greta Thunberg's speeches, where they'd begin with, how dare you, of course puts you on the back foot and quite defensive. So I was looking for answers against it all the time. Um, but on that note, you know, turning around on my views on climate and uh, sustainability issues, there are such simple moves. It's like you were saying about things not being recyclable packaging. The toilet roll that we get, we were getting Andrex for ages, and we normally then use the bag that the toilet rolls come in to put our toilet rolls in and such after we're done with and other toiletries that can be recycled. We then realized that bag isn't recyclable, but the Tesco one is. So we've just changed over to a Tesco brand and instantly we've got a recyclable bag there. It's just as simple as looking on the back a lot of the time. These things are really clearly signposted now, which is wonderful. I think the change will have to come from people, not from the corporations and companies, because no matter how many, because there's only a certain extent the government can put laws and regulations on these environmental things and remember that a lot of the political parties are funded by these large companies um, and that funding won't come so easily if they're putting more restrictions on them so as i say these changes need to come from being self-aware and taking things as small as a single-use plastic into account when we buy things there is obviously a slow learning curve um, I mean, to be honest, I don't do it that strictly, and I don't think anyone should. I don't think anyone should live um, as if it was the Bible. You know, it's it's just more of a general policy thing to keep in mind, um, because being too strict on it will make you feel alienated, or maybe like you can't do enough, or um, you know, just as we've talked about the vegans, it can put you into a box of always complaining and things like that. Yeah, sometimes it's looking for alternatives of what you can do, the consumption you've already got as well. Um, I used to buy a lot of Primark clothing and changed around from that to try my best to get clothing that will last a long time now. And I mean, I'm, you know, I buy a jumper a year um, maximum now. But uh, a lot of the things we did was the old Primark t-shirts that just go to ruin and essentially go to dust within a year. My partner has been turning them into cushion covers and whatnot says so star wars t-shirts and all sorts that so she's changed into that sold online people have got them in their home and people have got them now with a whole new lease of life and they've got them as you know decorative pieces and whatnot in their home i think that make do and mend mentality of uh you know that is very british from the wars i think it's something that we can definitely look more to bring back i think that's absolutely right and i think that touches on one of the most important points which is 
voting with your wallet, as they say. Uh, this is, you know, overused quite a lot, I think, but it is probably because it's so true. In a consumerism-based economy, money really does make the world go round. And you might think one person might not do might not be able to do much to top all this system, but this kind of ground-up activism can not only inspire other people to take the move, but it also allows you to create a kind of safety net, if you know what I mean. So say if the system, like the consumer-based economy, did go downhill quickly, then you would be cushioned in a way and you would be used to that and you wouldn't find yourself just wading, looking for a way to survive because you've been living locally and sustainably for many years by that point. And it does make a difference because it's one customer that they've lost and that is a little defeat for them. Absolutely. A a line I use all the time with uh, my partner we always say if everyone in the country was living the same way we are, McDonald's wouldn't be here because we're using it once a year for a coffee. Um, and it's, it's similar with most other things. It's like Primark, the only one item I get there is jeans because they happen to be a particularly good fit for me. So it's a simple case of if everyone was using Primark the same amount as me, it wouldn't be that. You, you don't have to be Puritan on these things. Exactly. And that's kind of like what we said before about entertainment. It's not about just completely cold turkey and yourself off from it. It's about using these things responsibly and, well, at the end of the day, using them and not letting them use you. You know, you don't live for the consumption. The consumption is there to fill little gaps in your life when you want to do it and in a sustainable way that doesn't damage your local communities. The whole system is predicated on endless consumption. So even bringing it down to a very moderate level would solve so many issues and would result in a lot of consumerism-based corporations going under. There's a phrase that I'd like to bring to this, and it's a very strong one, a very accurate one. Uh, I think it's a Bible phrase, but I'm not religious, so don't quote me. Uh, But it's in the world, but not of it. I think that's very strong. I've heard it a few times in a few different contexts, Um, but that's how we need to be. In a system that we don't agree with, um, we of course need to be in the world, but not operate as part of it, you know, not as these drones who are continuing the rat race. They get home, they consume, they return to the rat race for five days. Um, We are in that world. We don't need to be a part of the system. Yeah, this is something that my um, sort of upcoming article, not yet published on the site, but something it talks about as well is the confusion that can create for people because we're expected to be worker by day and not just that, an economist. You're expected to not take a tea break that's too long. You're expected to not waste any time while at work and be as efficient as humanly possible. Then after eight and a half to nine hours of doing that for the average person, you're then expected to go home and consume. And you're then expected not instead to free up time and make sure that you use it efficiently, but the polar opposite, you're expected to kill time as fast as humanly possible. And that's what all of these things allow people to do is kill that time fast. But it's an, it's an odd juxtaposition in life because if you then take that consumption attitude to work, you're in trouble. But these are two values that we're being taught to live by and conditioned to live by. And of course, it happens all the time at work. Uh, we've had males go around before where it's like, you know, too many people have been watching Netflix on their work computers. And you think, wow, that's quite something. I didn't realize people were doing that. But then on top of that, you hear on full screen and the IT technicians have found out and you think, People are watching full screen shows while they're working. And of course, it's because these two roles are difficult. It's difficult to humanly pull off splitting yourself between these two actions. And on top of that, it's difficult to understand where and when that stops, when suddenly you're expected to become a producer, whereas in the evening you are a consumer. 
Absolutely. And I think what you said is really powerful about the, it's sort of just to counterbalance the misery of work that people just sort of, they don't actively, or a lot of people at least, don't do anything creative or, you know, kind of enriching. But it's essentially just a counterbalance to the effort you put in at work to just do no effort at home. And that's actually one of the most popular theories behind leisure behavior, which I've been looking at recently. And I think, yeah, it's called the compensatory theory. And it's the idea that leisure is composed of activities that just counterbalance boredom and displeasure of work. And this can be, you know, just relaxation or, you know, one of the darkest ones is excessive consumption of alcohol to just essentially drown out the misery of work rather than use the time actively to, you know, recreate yourself. That's really the root of the word recreation. This is really different to how it used to be. Uh, in Nicomachean Ethics, one of Aristotle's works, he actually speaks about how leisure time is meant to be, well, the reason that we live, that work enables leisure, not the other way around. And it's, it's so unique now, and it really is a novelty, that leisure is now the time left over from work, rather than you know, work being the exception that enables le- leisure. I think that's largely because of the size of society now and just the general economic focus of everything in the world yeah and and young hip companies are coming to realize this as well that's why um in the video games industry where i've worked for many years it's it's always been an argument for hey come here we've got nerf guns in the office hey you want to play some table football go play some table football uh but actually when i was working at playstation there was playstation set up that you could just play go play some tekken or something anyone who did that for any extended period of time that was it you were out um because again it was that collision of worlds and uh consumption was suddenly coming into the workplace and they like to act like it's okay but it's not if you're running on a bureaucratic or technocratic absolute efficiency of course you can't have those things mixed but we like to act as if they can it's a huge thing now to have your breakfast in the office i have my breakfast at work that was never a thing years ago my my granddad i used to go to his architecture office as a child and there was no way you'd catch him eating his breakfast at work. He'd be in trouble or he'd be sacked if he was doing that. Whereas now it's an expected thing because they're blurring those lines on the division of labor. And as you say, you know, you're meant to work for that leisure time. And I couldn't agree more because if you do look at the ancient Greeks, one of the big reasons Aristotle would have thought such a thing is that a lot of the time people were going out and that day you might only have two hours of jobs because it might be getting some eggs, collecting it from the chickens, doing a couple of other various bits and bobs you need to do going to the market, selling something, coming home. Then you had all that time, and that time was used for gym, it was used for exercise, it was used for learning instruments, it was used for writing, you name it. Um, That's something that we're hugely lacking. How many people do you talk to nowadays who say, I wish I'd learned this language, I wish I'd learned this instrument? You know, something deeply enriching. We were meant to reach this element with liberalism where it was almost like a luxury communism. We were meant to reach an element where you would only educate yourself for fun, for leisure. But we're not. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone comes home absolutely drained, and especially with the mindless office jobs. Whereas actually, a lot of the manual labour jobs, people feel fulfilled, and they and they're getting you know hormone hits throughout the day, and they're getting the things they should for feeling like they've completed a job or a hard day's work. Um, whereas actually, it's your more mundane office industries where people are just clock watching, wasting that time and getting home too exhausted to walk to a local shop, too exhausted to do such a thing, so they order everything. 
it really is incredible if you take a step back and realize how weird the situation is that we're in now and how almost dystopian it is. They actually polled some children in America and in Britain and they found that the occupation that was most popular for kids wanting to become when they grow up was YouTube personalities. And if this isn't the most consumerist sort of career ambition ever, I don't know what is. It's a very capitalist view as well and a very individualist view. There's no sort of teamwork involved and it's very much about the spotlight. I think that we have created a cult of personality within all these younger kids. I mean, look at TikTok, for example. You've got 10 seconds to capture someone's attention before they scroll past you. Instagram, you've got a snapshot to capture someone's attention. Facebook is all about posting your statuses. Same with Twitter. It's all about your opinions, what you think. It's all about what you like and um, it's all very self-focused for every individual person. And I think that kids wanting to be YouTube personalities reflects that, not only because they get to play games and that be fun, but because they would have the focus on them and they would have that attention that they're craving because of this cult that the system has created. I mean, we're straying quite far off a localist lifestyle now, but it does come back into it that uh, another thing is technology use. I mean, I'm not saying we should all become Amish overnight but um, definitely you know the the use of having your phone notify you all the time because it gives you a spike of dopamine for every time your phone lights up and that's why apps you know like clash of clans and things that's why they give you a notification every 12 hours to rebuild your walls or whatever it is um, because they know that'll bring you back to the game because you get that dopamine spike. And over time, that leads to depression because you get used to having such high levels of dopamine with so many notifications coming through. If you put your phone down for 24 hours, you'll be gagging to get it back in your hand. I'll tell you what as well with these young YouTubers that I do find quite comical is if you want a sort of individualistic mentality there to get your hit of fame, it's, it's more fun to be famous locally, which I know sounds quite comical, but it's various things. When you get in a local paper for doing something locally, it's a big deal, and, and it feels good. It's like when I was cleaning the memorial recently on one of our videos uh, on our website, one of the things that was brilliant was about three, four people stopped, got chatting away to me about it, and then the vicar came round, and the vicar was over the moon that I was doing it, and he said he was going to mention it in church, and it's like... It's wonderful. That kind of thing is absolutely brilliant. You go away from it. And the primary goal was the memorial. I couldn't have cared less if 10 people had talked to me or 100 people. But it is wonderful when you come away and it's actually affected five people's life that day. They actually take that in. They're going to tell their partner. The vicar's going to tell the church. It's wonderful. I, I don't know why you'd have such a sort of bleeding heart for getting out there and talking to the world and talking to this globalist idea of I'm going to speak to Americans, I'm going to speak to British, I'm going to speak to the Europeans all at once on YouTube, when actually it's far more meaningful to get those small-scale interactions in your community that actually go around. It, it keeps The ladies I spoke to had a good mood, they went along and they spoke to someone else with a good mood, and those things become cyclical. It's a symbiotic relationship that local happiness has with one another's happiness. There's almost a bitter tinge to that, though, when you think that this is such a novel thing nowadays for someone to take care of their community, even something as obviously meaningful, but ultimately simple as cleaning a memorial. But of course, it's mostly a good thing because it shows that people do still appreciate this and there is such a desire for this community belonging in the world now, still, that this can bring people together. 
Absolutely, it's it's completely natural. We're social beings. That feeling of community uh, has been, you know, reduced with our internet use and um, you know the rat race and all these sort of things. But yeah, we can completely bring it back, and anyone can go out and do this. You know, just a sponge and some water at minimum, and you can go clean anything near you. Um, it's very easy and very simple. It's not like you need a, you don't need to apply to anyone to do it. You could just order stuff off Amazon. It'll arrive tomorrow. You can go out and then by next week, um, your town looks a lot cleaner. You might speak to a few people while you're doing it. And if anyone does, uh, please let us know. I would be very excited to see it on social media. Um, but yeah, anyone can do this. I think that's the massive point to mention. Yeah, I'll make sure I put a guide on the website as well. I mean, I got all my stuff within half an hour just from Allerton Road near me in Liverpool. Um, but, you know, I got it all very fast from small hardware stores. But as you say, you know, Amazon is that alternative, uh, one we'd rather avoid, but it's there. Um, but, yeah, I'll make sure we get a guide up as well because there's only a couple of precautions you need to take with uh, what type of stone and stuff. Yeah, good point. If you can get it from a <laughs> very good point. If you can get it from a smaller shop instead of Amazon, then go ahead. I just see. Look at that. I just default to Amazon, just, <laughs> just absolutely automatically. Yeah. This is one of the things I touched upon as well in a recent article. Uh, you were saying about you know keeping things uh, smaller scale. I think smaller scale has got something beautiful about it. You say it's a slight bit of tinge that's becoming more and more rare. I mean, you look at your small market towns and villages, and it's not at all. My local village back home, they've pushed out Tesco multiple times, stopping them from getting in, and it's a very common thing back in Suffolk. And everyone largely does buy locally um, in Suffolk. But this is just it, is humans are charming, and they're charming in small aggregations, absolutely. It's why people have formed groups forever everyone's always had a gang everyone's always had the local village council everyone's always had a parish there's always been uh everything but this is just it even mobs you know people will form even bad things but it's because people are charming in these small groups that they work together in small groups i think any time you get too big such as the larger centralized nation state i think that's when things get ugly and it becomes difficult and you have arguments between the various groups because all of a sudden the world's a lot smaller when the news is implying to me that um, when I live in Liverpool, it's implying to me that Cornish matters have any relevancy to what's going on in Liverpool. And I, I'm getting told that something is almost my responsibility if it's happening in Lithuania. Uh, it's the most bizarre system that we've got into where you then end up with small scale things being ignored. There are things locally that are huge that are going on in the UK and you know, be that darker news stories or the wonderful all ignored in in the favor of what's on the news today we're going to be talking about something that's happening in you know the middle east it's bizarre yeah if you're told that you're attached to everywhere then really you're attached to nowhere yeah but i think actually if you take small groups i, I really think it's the way forward i see people achieve so much more locally together um there's a local for me Green Party do a surgery monthly, which essentially means coming together, group of people, sit in a circle, discuss what's going on, discuss what matters are happening here. And although we've got a, a local Labour council, it's the Greens who actually do the most around here. And I'm not entirely in support of everything the Greens have to say at all, but I do find it intriguing that they, they end up doing the most uh, as a community because just that, it doesn't matter if it's Green Party, it doesn't matter what it is. The fact is it's actually a group of people getting together, putting their heads together and saying, what needs bettering here? I think people are much more likely to listen to each other as well when there's not the anonymous element. 
Um, and that's one of the main things you can do to live locally, I think, is create these links that we've spoken about. Get involved in your council, get involved in local charity drives and other initiatives, and essentially just get to know your neighbours. Yeah, it's one of the things Liam and I are looking to do here in my uh, local area is as soon as the lockdown's over and we can actually see people again, we want to go to these Green Party surgeries big time. It's something we'd much rather get involved in. And again, it's not hard. All these things changing over to a local lifestyle from the outside at first until someone's explained it to you seems really difficult, but it's such easy transitions. And it's like going to your local surgery. It's just walking out the door and walking five minutes to our community center one evening for an hour. And it's only once a month. It's nothing. But in your head, for some reason, you you start to think to yourself, I can't do that. And I've got work and I've got this, I've got that. You'd be surprised. It, it's not at all difficult to do these things, actually. So we've made a lot of good points and to summarize them, as we've said, this isn't a strict rule set to live by. These are just general principles to bear in mind day to day. Nobody should be living with this strict mentality, constantly pushing them to avoid all franchises or large businesses um, because it's just not realistic and it's not possible. We can consume less and appreciate more while still maintaining a healthy mindset rather than um, be too hard on ourselves, basically. As for the charity stuff, like cleaning the memorial, anyone can do this. It's really simple. It really doesn't require much. And these seemingly small things can make a real difference, whether it's on a community scale or if a lot of people do it on a national scale. It makes a real difference and it says a lot. It speaks volumes for what people want and the lengths they will go to to make a difference that they want to see. Uh, so unless we've got anything else to add, Ethan or Seth, I think this would be a good point to end on. No, that's all from me. No, the last thing I'd say is just, you know, please feel free to check out the website, check out some more of the articles that expand on a lot of these points. Um, and, you know, if you're going to consume anything, consume from our store. <laughs> okay, so that's the end of the episode then. Well, Seth, thanks for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. No worries. Thanks a lot. As Seth said, we've got a brand new eShop, so be sure to check that out. And we've got many articles coming up, so make sure you look at those too on our website, thelocalist.org. Also, check us out on social media, such as Facebook and Instagram, at localmatterseng. And if you're feeling particularly generous, be sure to donate to us at paypal.me forward slash localmatters. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.